good to be together on this day, remembering uh, Jesus' death on the cross. And it might seem strange and it might seem barbaric to us, 21st century British people who get warned on the news when something distressing might be coming on. It might seem strange to us to think it, but crucifixion was not uncommon in the Roman Empire. It happened a lot. It was what they did to their thieves, their murderers, their rebels. But there was one day, there was one man, there was one crucifixion that was different to all the others that went before and all the others that would come after. The crucifixion of Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews, the focus of our Good Friday. I think it's probably true to say that I doubt if Jesus was the only man crucified who was innocent of what he was charged with. I'm sure Roman justice was not that great. But for sure, he was the only man ever who was crucified, who was innocent of any crime, who was perfect, who was sinless. Jesus was the only man whose death was not a tragic end but actually was the end of a tragedy. The tragedy that men and women who God loves should be separated from him. Jesus was the only man whose death marked not an untimely finish to his life's work, but actually the triumphant completion of a life's work. Jesus was the only man whose death was not a sad end, but was actually an amazing beginning whose cry of, it's finished, was not desperate, I can't go on, but actually was, it's accomplished, I've done it, yes, and he had. In fact, Jesus' death sparked some remarkable things. Matthew's account of the crucifixion and of the end of it in Matthew 27, starting at verse 50, says this, just a couple of verses. Then Jesus shouted out again, And he released his spirit. He gave himself up to death. It didn't claim him. And at that moment, at that moment, the curtain in the sanctuary of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook. Rocks split apart. Tombs were opened. Wow. Something remarkable was going on. Something remarkable was happening. And as Jesus hung on the cross between heaven and earth, he was bringing heaven and earth back together again. You see, the Bible shows us that God has always wanted to be a God who lives with his people, that's his heart. He wants to live with his people, his creation. In the beginning, he walked with Adam in the garden. We see it when God spoke to Moses and got Moses to to do a man-made tent called a tabernacle where God was going to camp with his people and move with them. Take notice, all you West Point people. God is a camper. (laughs) The inner part of that tent was where God himself would live, would dwell. The tent of his presence 
his headquarters here on earth. Much later, God spoke to Solomon about upgrading his mobile home to a permanent one. A magnificent, huge, glorious temple in Jerusalem. A place where God could be found. Where people could come and bring their requests to him. But alongside God's presence, there was also God's holiness. God, as Phil Phil Moore says in one of his commentaries, God was willing to live among his people, but he could not let them think that he was like them. God was willing to live among his people, but he could not let them think that he was like them. So there had to be a separation, a barrier, the holy place, the place in the temple where God dwelt right in the center was separated by a huge curtain. Most likely about 10 meters high and 10 meters wide. And according to some Jewish literature, don't know how they do this, about the thickness of a man's hand. This barrier around the presence of God. And around that there were other rooms that were restricted in access. God lived. God's presence was there, but in a restricted zone. God was present in power, but too holy for his people to get too close to. And these barriers reminded them, as they knew from history, that to go into God's presence for a sinful man to enter the presence of God was death. Not because God was bad, but because God was good. His goodness, his purity, his The greatest goodness that ever exists. No shadow of darkness in him. Pure goodness. Pure light. Completely good compared to our flawed and broken natures. The Bible's description, one of the many descriptions of God is our God is a consuming fire. A consuming fire. And no matter how good we try to be, no matter how good we are in comparison to others, We can never match up to God's perfect goodness. So we are unable to exist in the face of such purity, such goodness, yet God wants to dwell with us. There's a conundrum. There's a puzzle. How can it happen? And God, in his grace, made a way. He made an agreement. He made a covenant with his people. And what bridged the gap? The answer was blood sacrifice, the shedding of innocent blood for the forgiveness of sin. Now, there's another thing, isn't it? Like crucifixion, it's a bit foreign to our, our sort of cosseted 21st century ears. But you know, you can go right back through history in many different cultures, and that is a concept that people understood. It's only recently that we find it strange and have lost it. The shedding of innocent blood for the forgiveness of sin. So in the temple, there was a massive bronze altar and it ran with blood. I hope I'm not putting you off your lunch. But going to the equivalent of church in those days was not like this. It required the shedding of blood. Innocent lambs, bulls, goats, doves. No one could enter without the shedding 
of blood every day. Sacrifice after sacrifice, blood and more blood, a never-ending cycle. And there was one day in the year and one day only when one man could go in to the very holy place where God's presence was, the high priest. And then the blood was needed more than ever. Restricted access. And then on another significant day, Jesus gave up his life and everything changed forever. Everything changed forever. The old picture that I've just tried to describe to you, the old way of doing things, the old covenant, it turns out was just a shadow of something that was coming and has come. A new way of doing things, a new covenant had come gloriously but painfully. And it started when Jesus died on the cross. The temple curtain, this massive curtain that I've spoken to you about, was torn in two from top to bottom. Can you imagine that? It's hard, isn't it? You know, we might be more impressed by some of the other things in those verses I read. You know, the earth shook. That would impress me. Rocks split. Whoa, that would impress me. Tombs were opened. I'd be heading in the other direction. But you know, in a sense, all of those things had happened before. We've seen God speak through earthquakes. We've seen rocks split. We've seen, us, we've seen all that. Jesus had opened tombs. He'd raised Lazarus. I think the most significant thing that happened that day was the temple curtain was torn in two. It's hard for us to imagine how shocking that was for the Jewish people. I want to try and help us to do that. Bear with me. You know, this impenetrable place, this curtain beyond which no one could go, this huge place, you'd never seen it. You'd never been in. You weren't allowed in. You and I were never going to get in. Never. It was the holy place. It was the presence of the living God. And suddenly, God rips the curtain open. And suddenly, he puts out the welcome mat. The very place you could never go, I could never go, becomes the place that we're invited in. And more than that, the place that God can reach out and come out. The door is open. The curtain is torn. Anyone could look in. Anyone could walk in. God has put the welcome mat out. What had happened? Well, this is the Old Testament promise. You see, the high priest could go in once a year. But a greater high priest has come. His name is Jesus. This man, this God, this Jesus lived a life like us without sin. He took our sins upon him, took our punishment upon him, paid the price for them in dying and entered the very presence of God, the very holy of holies with his own precious innocent blood. Once and for all, not bull's blood, lamb's blood, 
but perfect, sinless sacrifice once and for all and forever. He has brought forgiveness and atonement at one month, they told me in Sunday school, making us one, bringing us together, reconciling us with God. Now through Jesus, and only through Jesus, the way was open. God had come down to us. He ripped the curtain from top to bottom. Do you notice that? It's not us trying to sneak in at the bottom or trying to open it up. God himself opened the way. What a glorious achievement, as Spurgeon would have put it. It's finished. It's finished. So, what does it mean for us? What can our response be? Let me quote from Phil Moore in his Straight to the Heart series, which I would recommend. He says this, Forgiveness is not the goal of the gospel. It's merely the means by which we receive the gospel. The Christian life is no more about being forgiven than my house is about the hallway. It's the entry point. Everyone must pass through it on their way to the other rooms in the house. But it's not the destination. Forgiveness is what brings us into a deep relationship with God and with his people so that we can dwell with Christ in heaven and Christ can dwell with us on earth by his spirit. Amen? (laughs) What a wonderful, what a wonderful opportunity we have. The cross central to our salvation, bringing us forgiveness, making us right with God. The only way, it's not our destination. It's not our destination. It wasn't Jesus's. He's not there. He is risen and he has gone before us. It's the means by which God made wide open access. And our response, well, our response to the great cost, the price that God paid is gratefulness and thanksgiving. Our response to God's mercy is to present ourselves as living sacrifices. Our response to such forgiveness is that we love much. And we honor the sacrifice of Jesus, not so much by dwelling on the horror of the cross, as Steve said. The Bible accounts are quite matter of fact. They describe it as it happened. We honor most the sacrifice of Jesus by taking hold of what he's done for us, of what he's won for us, of all that he has accomplished on our behalf. So let me, as we draw to a close, encourage you. This is what the writer of Hebrews says, Hebrews 10. He encourages us, I want to encourage you. And so, dear brothers and sisters, we can boldly enter heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. We can boldly enter. We can. You can. I can. We can. The ones who we're never going to get in. The door is open. By his death, verse 20, Jesus opened a new and a life-giving way through the curtain into the most holy place. And since we have a great high priest who rules over God's house, let us go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts fully trusting him. For our guilty conscience have been sprinkled with Christ's blood to make us clean. 
and our bodies have been washed with pure water. We can go right in. We can talk to God anywhere, anyhow, anytime. We can go in through the hallway of God's mercy and forgiveness and explore the house of God. We can experience his presence by his Holy Spirit anytime, anywhere. We can go right in because the curtain is torn. There is no sin, nothing you've done. There is no shame. There is no guilt. There is no accusation. There is no condemnation that the perfect sacrifice of Jesus can't take away. We have no excuse, brothers and sisters. We have no excuse not to go in. He's done it all. He's done it all. When I was a teenager, we went on a school trip. And we were supposed to be going to uh, Lundy Island, which involved going on a boat, but the weather was naff and we weren't allowed to go. And we ended up at Butlins. (laughs) We knew how to live. And when we got to Butlins, we discovered, a group of boys, we discovered that something of heaven was there. They had a full-sized snooker table. I can tell that's impressed you. (laughs) We were young. (laughs) Do you know, none of us had ever seen a full-sized snooker table, let alone played on one. And we were amazed. And we, we found where this snooker table was. And we, were, we, were look, we could see it. could see it through the window. And here's the sad part. Brace yourselves for this. What we discovered was you had to pay a deposit before you could play on it. And amongst all of us, we didn't have enough money. We couldn't go in. All we ever did was we looked and we pressed our noses to the window and we saw a full-size snooker table. Silly illustration, I know. But I want to say this to you this morning. Jesus has paid the deposit and more. We don't have to look in. We don't have to press our nose against the window. The door is open. He says, come right in. Press right in. Don't stand aloof. We're going to be breaking bread in just a moment if the band can come back. And we want to use this as our response to God afresh this morning. It's a story perhaps that you've heard many times before. Maybe it's new to you. Maybe you're here this morning as a follower of Jesus. Maybe you're not. If you are, then we invite you, come and share in this breaking of bread. If you wouldn't call yourself a follower of Jesus this morning, you can become one. It's an open door. It doesn't say just some people. It says all people. You can come if you want to put your trust in Jesus this morning. And... I don't know where you are, I don't know who you are, but if you want to do that this morning, then you come and join us in breaking bread as well as your act of putting your trust in Jesus. And I'd just love it if you come and tell me afterwards. But I want to encourage us to put our focus on coming right in to God's presence, the very presence of the living God. It's good for us to reflect. It's good for us to pause You can play some. Start warming us up. You know, it's so easy to take for granted, isn't it, what we have. It's so easy. It's so easy to lose our wonder and our thankfulness for what God has done for us. 
it can be easy for us to fall prey to lies that we're not really welcome in God's house or well Steve is but God just puts up with me you know that's a lie all God's children are welcome in God's house it's easy to believe sometimes we're second class citizens but there aren't any in God's family it's easy to believe perhaps that if we've fallen, uh, fallen if, we've, if we've done wrong if we've messed up we can come and say we're sorry to God but somehow still we're in the doghouse God doesn't have a doghouse you're invited right in for us not to do not to take hold of not to really take hold of all that Jesus has done is a bit of an insult for him can I say that? our reasonable response is to receive all he has with open arms this morning the way is open it's never going to be shut and his blood is effective let's sing together